Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and you're listening to the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode where we're speaking with Gordon Russell from Esk Valley Wines in Hawke's Bay here in New Zealand. Uh, Gordon has been in the wine industry for 40 plus years and um, so he's seen quite a bit come and go over his time. So right now let's go have a chat with Gordon. So hi Gordon, good to great to have you here. Thanks for um, thanks for coming in and, and joining us. And so yeah, it'd be good going back a little while for you. But where, where did your journey down the down the wine path start? What was the genesis well, I, of that? I kind of you know I generally start tastings and these sorts of stories by saying how lucky I was, and I don't know if luck's involved, but how sort of fortunate I was to turn my hobby into my life. And I keep sort of saying that to people. It is possible, you know, what do you really like doing or what would you really like to do? And you can make it happen. And, I mean, in my case, I was living in Hearn Bay and decided through, I mean, circumstances that happened over over the years, and this is back in the mid-1980s, I jumped on my motorbike and rode to every winery in West Auckland and basically begged for a job. And one, which was um, at the time Ballamore, oh, it, was, it was Ballamore, and prior to that had been Ballach Estate. And um, there was a young winemaker there, Stefan Jelicic, who ultimately gave me a job, became a mentor, and just that was the beginning. And, and just this thirst for knowledge, um, you know, learning all the seller skills, learning about wine, coming home, reading about wine, living near Jervois Road, uh, Glengarry, which had really hadn't opened that long prior, and spending my money on wine. And it just started this from a, a small beginning, literally just, you know, I, I, it became a passion. And w- what was that beginning? What made you jump on your bike and go out around well, wineries? What, what? I mean, it, perhaps it all started, I mean... I lived in England, as you do, you know. I mean, I, I went over there in the um, very early 1980s, so it was in actually 1980, to see all my favourite bands play. And, you know, I missed most of my favourite bands by a year or two, <laughs> but there were still, you know, um, new good ones to, to go and watch and so forth. And while I was there, one of the jobs I ended up um, sort of taking on was running a, a cellar in a pub, and it was you know, bringing in the, the barrels of beer and, and just doing looking after a cellar and bringing quality beer to the taps and the customers and so forth. And I, I kind of love that. I mean, I've always liked drinking and food and hunting and fishing and all of that sort of thing, which I think are all intertwined in a way. And when I got back to New Zealand, I saw an ad actually in uh, the paper and it was at Collards and it was for a cellar hand. And I thought, well, given my experience, what I've done in London, um, I could do that. And I went out and had an interview with Lionel Collard. I think I was kind of perhaps a bit knowing Lionel, who I got to know later in the piece. I kind of realise now why he probably didn't employ me. (laughs) Um, Just I think I was quite brash and probably arrogant, not kind of, you know, I I wasn't the kind of person he's probably looking for, even though I would have done the job really well for him. But I didn't get the job, but it piqued my interest. And that was just, it was from a rejection that I created a positive right. in some respects. Yeah, yeah, determined to go and find so, something that uh, 
yeah. you could get could get stuck into and get started. So, yeah, I mean, nice. yeah, and that, and that that kind of led to ultimately, you know, uh, finding a job or get uh, moving on and and ending up with Villa Maria and um, there working with Kim Milne, who back in the day, you know, you know, was the uh, chief winemaker of Villa Maria in Mungary. When are, so when are we talking now? Uh, we're we... talking 1988. Okay, yep. Um, and Kim. You know, this is the time where we were doing New Zealand's first kind of barrel fermentations and things. So it was quite a bit of experimentation and things going on at uh, Villa Maria at the time. And, and when Kim left, I mean, he ultimately became one of the first global flying winemakers as such. So, you know, it was a really good connection. He was of similar age than I, and we got on really well. So I was the one that just forever asked questions and demanded answers for everything I was doing. That led to assistant winemaker role at Esk Valley in 1993, um, ended up taking the position of winemaker. Right, yeah. And so Esk Valley has a relationship with Villa Maria, obviously, going way back. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, uh, Sir George Fistinich bought what was uh, Glenvale, so an old historic uh, winery. I mean, you know, people of the next generation and I, so people in their sort of 70s and 80s and so forth remember fondly Glenvale because it was one of the, you know, stalwarts of the sherry and sweet wine sort of production of New Zealand. Um, and Sir George bought it in 1986, renamed it Esk Valley, and production really began again in 1989. So I was there in a sort of embryotic days when it was you know, trying to come to grips to, with the fact it was an 80-year-old winery and we were looking to make modern styles of wine and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, been a, a long road for me as such and the title is Esk Valley Winemaker and, you know, lots a lot's gone on. Yeah, yeah, no, a lot, a lot has gone on. It's a, uh, a long time to, to be there. So, and... Um so you went down there. What what did you have when you arrived? Like what varietals were there, and how's that um, changed for you over the years? Yeah, well, um, I suppose when we first when it first started, I mean, a lot of the wines that we make now were just beginning in some respect, you know. So we made Chardonnay, we made Bordeaux inspired red wines, um, which Merlot became more and more of a focus. Um, 1991, we made our one of New Zealand's first dry rosés, which we've sort of continued to do and champion. Um, there was Chenin Blanc, Riesling. Um, what else? Sauvignon Blanc was just beginning, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, much it, – it wasn't too different, but, you know, the difference has been vast in terms of, you know, the aspirations for the variety, where it's grown – uh, the level of ripeness that we pick it at, how we process it, and so forth. So it's been, you know, it might have been the same varieties, but the wines we're producing have, have changed dramatically. Right, right, okay. So so you actually had some of those varietals there that are still still going today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just the, what you're producing has obviously changed and how yeah. you're going about it. A yeah, lot more elegance, a lot more hands, hands-off sort of uh, means of production, letting the vineyard do the work rather than trying to do it in the winery. Um you know, we use a lot of barrels these days, but they're mostly older barrels. So it's more for the vessel rather than for the oak content and so forth. So, you know, there's there's significant changes, but you'd recognise the wines that we 
made then, you know, as the wines we make today. It's yeah. a synergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so still producing from that same area that where, where you started at? Well, I mean, it's been till 2018, um, you know, we worked out of the Esk Valley Winery. And, I mean, it's the most beautiful site. You know, it's old, historic. It looks out over the Pacific Ocean. It's um, got a terraced vineyard on its flank that is just part of your every day as such. Um, 80-year-old cellars with uh, red wine-making facilities that are 23 concrete tubs set into the earth and, and so forth. But then in 2018, Sir George Fistinich built a new plant, a new winery for his Hawke's Bay brands out in the Gimma Gravels at Tiawa. So that necessitated a shift from the old site to a new site. With it, it brought, I suppose, better technology, um, you know, um, a concentration of plant equipment and people and so forth. But, you know, some of the romance and the history and some of the things I loved about that old site um, disappeared with it. But saying that, Sir George was... Um, you know, very um, visionary. Um, I asked him or sort of commented, you know, hand on heart, and I truly believed it, that with the loss of those concrete fermenters, we were going to lose some of the personality of, of Esk Valley's red wines. This is, you know, a, a unique old-fashioned way of making wine, which had played a part in the style of wine which we made, which was popular and it you know, one of the benchmark wines of red wines in New Zealand. So, um, you know, he took that on board and, and we bought 13 concrete fermenters made to the same dimensions in Burgundy and shipped over to New Zealand for Esk Valley to continue to make our red wine within. So, mm. um, you know, we did take some of our style with us. We just left some of the romance behind, perhaps. Yeah, sure. But um, still producing off that area, that initial X Valley vines? Yeah, um, yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, that's still in production. But yeah. saying that, we have always had, and, and perhaps that's the difference between the very beginning, the first vintages and later vintages. When we first started, we had vineyards, like we do now, scattered across Hawke's Bay. So from Esk Valley to Tiawonga to... Marae Kakaho, further inland. The Gimlet Gravels really hadn't begun then. There was the odd vineyard and we got parcels from it. But back then, most vineyards were very much a, um, a fruit salad of uh, perhaps varieties. So from each vineyard, you might be taking Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Chenin Blanc, Riesling or something. Um, with time, however, just the understanding of what each variety needs in terms of rainfall, climate, so forth, led to much more specialisation in terms of um, just vineyards that were set up to produce Chardonnay or aromatic whites. And then obviously the Gimlet Gravels came on stream and that was the focus for our red wine production. So a lot of the vineyards we're still utilising that we used way back then, but a lot of them have also been replanted and, and are more suitable than they were initially. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so a few firsts along along the way for you with yeah. um, in what, what you were doing back yeah. then too? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, 
at heart, I think myself and those that have worked with me and for me and so forth, I mean, Esk Valley always think was a, a cellar run by wine lovers. So I think we're wine lovers first and then kind of wine makers and, you know, second. That, that's how it felt anyway. So there was always an inquis- inquisitive collection of inquisitive minds to, to terms of processing different grape varieties and, and so forth. So, you know, over the years, I think our, you know, our dry style uh, Merlot Rosé was, you know, if not a first, it was very much amongst the very first of its kind in New Zealand. Um, we certainly made New Zealand's first Vidalo in recent times until I read a book that was written in 1974 by Frank Thorpe, which noted that Romeo Brigato had... Uh, tasted Vidalo grown in Hawke's Bay in the Waikato uh, in the 1890s or whatever. I actually believed we were making New Zealand's first Vidalo. So um, I have to concede that, <laughs> that that wasn't actually true um, just in recent times. So yeah. that was a project that spanned 20-odd uh, years, and that was amazing. Um, as far as I know, we made New Zealand's first Vidalo. We met, certainly with our terraces vineyard, that was the first... I think, field blend, co-ferment of uh, perhaps Bordeaux varietals. We, you know, adding Malbec to our blends way back in the early 1990s and so forth, I mean, that that wasn't practice. So, yeah, there's been, you know, the ability and the willingness of of Sir George and Villa Maria to, to back us to actually push the boundaries, do things that weren't, hadn't been done before. Um, and I think the proviso on all of this which allowed us to do it we the wine sold so i'm sure if the wines had languished in the storeroom at uh, you know the, at Villa Maria or whatever in the warehouse um it might have been a different issue but mm. um we seem to have success with them and, and that was good yes yeah yeah well it's always the ultimate test yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's, it's the idea of the game isn't it gives you the license to keep going yeah yeah yeah. Oh, cool. All right. And um, what about more latterly? What's sort of been happening sort of in the last sort of well, few years? Um, yeah, I'd, in the last – I'm actually – it's funny. I'm, I'm almost having more fun with what we're making today than I probably ever have in the past. Um, and I say that in terms that we have always at Esk Valley had a, two tiers of wine. So we've had an estate range, which is the range that you see in the supermarket and so forth, um, which is, you know, rosé, pinot gris, um, chardonnay, Bordeaux-inspired red and, and so forth. Um, to me, those grapes are all – those wines are about the grapes. So I'm trying to make wines with a kind of purity, unadulterated, a lot more tank fermentation and, and so forth. I mean, I think – Great wines, and I think incredible value for money. That, that's kind of my sales plug, but I do believe that. At the other end of scale, we've made uh, reserve bottlings that we used to call, you know, call them as such. So it was our reserve range. I think highly regarded, um, seen as amongst the best of their kind in New Zealand. And um, as I work for a company, i.e. Villa Maria, that have always entered wine shows and used the results, the wines have been highly awarded in terms of national and international wine shows and so forth. So 
those wines are all about a place. So they tend to be single vineyard wines, and what we're trying to do is just capture the uniqueness of the sites in the bottle and sell them as such as, as you know, single vineyard wines. In, in 2020, we created a new range of wines that we called Artisanal. And this is a, a range where we've taken alternate varieties and perhaps alternate techniques as well and made a collection of wines which is really, really interesting. You know, it's kind of almost the fulfilment of what I, I, I started perhaps back in 1998 when we started the, oh, 1993, um, when we started the Vidalo program as such at East Valley. So this range of wines, the artisanal collection has got, you know, um, Albarino, uh, Chenin Blanc, Gamay, Grenache, Tempranillo, Malbec-based red, you know, and, and and others as well. So, you know, it's finding obscure varieties which are rare to New Zealand, the Grenache being the only bottling of its, of, of the variety in New Zealand and having fun doing so. So it's been a lot of fun. And, and are those your plantings or you're finding them different uh, places or a mix of both? Or mix of both. Mix of both, yeah. I mean, yeah. some of them are experimental plantings, which um, like the Grenache, I mean, that was planted way back in 2004 as far as I can recall. Um, so it's just fine giving it a home where we can both promote the variety and, and have fun making it. Yeah, nice. nice. And then we've got some passionate growers as well, none more so than perhaps the... Um, uh, the Quinns in and Linda Quinn out at um, Marae Kākehō or Manga, Mangatahi, which is sort of further inland in Hawke's Bay. And out there I get Shannon Blanc, Albarino and Gamay. And, you know, they have, they've given us the opportunity to um, perhaps, you know, extend that range with um, some alternate varieties there as well. Yeah, nice. And so how do you approach that, a, a varietal that you might not have worked with before? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, that obviously, look back on what you've tasted in the past, read what you can, taste bottlings which are available in the market perhaps, and then I suppose just intuition. And I mean, my idea of making wine these days is just very hands-off as such. So it's all about trying to maximise what you can get from the vineyard, tasting daily, um, basically, and then coming to a conclusion that the grapes are never going to be better than they are now, and then just letting uh, the process begin and end from that decision. So, you know, with red wines, it's, um, well, nearly or that entire range, actually. It's wild yeast, so there's no yeast input or anything. Um, just having the I suppose, the knowledge of what temperature I want things to ferment at, just try and control it a bit in that way um, and try and make wines, as, I suppose, that showcase the grape rather than showcase the cellar. So old oak, big barrels often, um, you know, just very simple processes. But really just I, I think that when you pick it, decision is the most important of all. Right, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And again, it... Quite a challenge if you haven't worked with that varietal before, right? Yeah, I <laughs> pick that right. Well, pick I remember right back time. in the day, the first first time um, we were going to be making Pinot Gris, and I God, I never realised it was such a pink variety. I knew it was pink, but I never in my mind had you know 
had seen it on the vine and and seen the, the actual colour of it. Right. That was quite confronting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. And, and I suppose just um, what making some of those, working with some of those new varietals and then, you know, it's early days obviously, but seeing how that ages as well and yeah. what, what you're getting out of there would yeah. be quite quite exciting too, yeah. From what I've seen though, I mean, there seems to be quite a an interest in, the you know, sort of alternate varieties. And whenever I do tastings with them, you know, people are really keen to try them. So I think mm. many of them are actually going to be selling too long, quite <laughs> yeah. honestly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Might be a bit tricky to keep them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good problem to have. And um, apart from what you're doing, have you anything else that you've seen that sort of interested you either in New Zealand, other people doing in New Zealand or overseas or even just recently something something you've yeah. had or, or a trend you're seeing somewhere else or here? or I mean, I... I, I am, I don't know if fascinated is quite the right word, but I'm very interested in, you know, the whole new wave of natural wine styles and so forth. And, I mean, I realise, you know, they come in for lots of criticism and, you know, cloudy wine, oh, my God. But, you know, I mean, cloudy wine, every time you clarify wine, you're taking out both good and bad things out of it, you know, as well. Um, so I, I think... You know, I, I like the way that wine is, the wines that I like anyway, have become less and less processed, I think, you know, and they're, they're, they're much less formulamatic. And I like the way that field blends are, are being harvested and created. So you, you're trying to capture the, the vineyard rather than a specific variety. I mean, saying that, there's, you know, lots of natural wines which are, faulty and, and, you know, contain flavours which I would be aghast if they were in my wine. But, and, but you know, finding the masters, you know, and that's globally, who are making wines in a very skilled, knowledgeable, hands-off manner or whatever, um, I find that quite exciting and, and revealing mm. these days. Mm. Um, you know, if I go back to when I first fell in love with wine as such, I would save up and I'd be able to buy first and second growth Bordeaux. I could buy and have been lucky enough to drink nearly all the great wines of the world. My daughter, who's, you know, a winemaker and has got a wine label of her own, um, without being, having it through me being able to try those wines, her generation are, are probably never going to be able to afford to try those benchmark and classic wines, which... I think it's is unfortunate. I feel lucky that I have, mm. but I really can't afford them these days anyway. So, mm. Mm. Um, mm. but yeah, that that's something I I really perhaps like in the world of wine at the moment. And, and in fact, perhaps in New Zealand, we're also waking up to the fact that um, there's other varietals out there other than uh, French varietals, which I think we've always based our industry on. You know, being French varieties, but. Um, there's Italian varieties and there's Spanish varieties, as we found at Esk Valley with um, Albarino and Tempranillo. So there's a whole world of grape varieties out there waiting to be planted and enjoyed as mm, well. Mm. Well, there's, there's lots, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's you only need to get Jansis' book, you know, <laughs> yeah. wine grapes and God knows 1,300 or 1,500 or something. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Albarino seems to be one that's sort of really getting a foothold now and, Production in New Zealand, yeah, yeah. love it. I mm. think it's it, it's 
pretty much indestructible in the vineyard, so right. give it a big tick um, in that respect. So thick skin, small berries, loose bunch, doesn't mind a bit of rain and humidity and so forth. Yeah. And makes wine which has, it's, it's, a, it's physical drinking Albarino in a way that no other wine is. It, it does, it affects part of your palate, your taste buds with a kind of salinity or thirst quenching sort of nature that does something to your taste buds mm. physically, mm. which is very unusual, but in, incredibly enjoyable at the mm. same time. Mm. Mm. And a good match for some of New Zealand, yeah. um, you know, food sort of That's summer type. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had quite a su- bit of success in the UK with our Albarino, okay. actually. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, if we could make more, um, we'd certainly have a market for it. But, you know, unless we've just got single planting um, out of uh, Mangatahi, and um, that's it. That's all we make. So mm. just mm. have to put the price up, won't we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Pop, right. Slow demand. Ed, are you seeing... Uh, Anywhere, maybe in the Hawke's Bay or maybe elsewhere in New Zealand, um, re- you know, a particular region that's sort of coming on that maybe hasn't been really explored that much before or is it more just current regions sort of stretching out and finding little extra pockets? That, both, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, for us, I mean, we're stretching into central Hawke's Bay mm-hmm. um, and there's quite a bit of land, I mean, you know, right through, yeah, right, White Power, White Pukarau, um, you know, sort of inland there's... There's quite a bit of land, great gravel soils, hot and dry. So I think Hawke's Bay is going to expand into there. And, and, you know, we already have vineyard plantings which are coming on stream this year of um, uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Gris, which I think be eminently suited to um, central Hawke's Bay. But saying that, one of the regions which I have always liked the wines, and I think it's perhaps underrated, um, or not underrated, but probably less known, is Waipara. And I just, I don't know, I think the aromatic white wines that, say, Pegasus Bay have made for years, my my friend um, Stephen, who I worked with at uh, Phila Maria, has gone to work at Greystone, you know, the Black Estate, those, and, and there's numerous of them. I mean, they limestone soils, just seemingly a perfect climate to make rich, full-bodied, intensely flavoured aromatic white wines. Um, I think that's a region whose day will fully come mm. sometime. Mm, no. I mean, it's a matter of just getting people to perhaps also start drinking aromatic white wines, mm. you know, mm. um, whether that be, I mean, I know they drink Pinot Gris, but Riesling, Gewürztraminer, you know, I, I love great aromatic white wines. Mm. Um, and some interesting blends of those coming out yeah. too, aren't there? Yeah. I'm trying to think of, um, I think it's Pegasus Bay's. It starts with V. It's, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. Yeah. A white. Yeah, it's I a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really, I agree. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. I mean, I like that as well. I mean, one of my um, sort of inspirations over the years was always uh, Marcel Dice from Alsace, who you know, makes wines, I mean, nearly his entire collection is, is field blends as such. So whatever's in the vineyard is harvested together, fermented together and named after the vineyard. So there's some pretty, you know, it's even Pinot Noir along with the Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Gewürztraminer, Riesling and so forth. And each mm. of the vineyards is different. And 
you know, his statement I read once that the vine is merely a conduit from the soil to the glass, I think is stands true. And it was, you know, those words and that inspiration which inspired me to um, do the same with our terrace vineyard at the winery in Bayview. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, very cool. Oh, well, we're just about to finish on that last question. Is there is there anything else you've you sort of had in your mind that you sort of wanted well, I mean, to share? Um, it's funny. Ask me, um, you know, what challenges me in the world of wine in some respect. And the thing that I, I wrote down, it just crossed my mind, was celebrity wine. <laughs> and it, it, it was kind of like, because it's to me, you know, wine is just a beverage at, at heart. Yes, you know, it's just grapefruit from a vine um, as such. But it, it tells, it should tell a story about itself rather than a story about perhaps the mm. person who made it or, or the person who's endorsing it. Mm. Well, and well, the, the that, that's me just being perhaps a wine wanker. Yeah, but, no. you know, that that's just something that sort of drives me crazy. Every sports star and celebrity or whatever then branches out into wine to... You know, it's an offshoot of their footwear company and, and so <laughs> yeah. forth. So that's one of the things that I, I'm, you know, not particularly fond of in the world of wine. Yeah, no, I think I'd, um, I'd join you. I'd join you on, on that one. Yeah, not so much uh, more more effort in the in what what's inside the bottle than what's uh, on the label outside the bottle. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. And then, yeah, so we do finish on if you could have a glass of any wine any time with anyone. Anywhere, yeah, <laughs> and well, it's always a challenge. It might just be one uh, option, right? Because uh, there's probably lots. Yeah, I. That's almost an impossible question to mm. answer, right? Mm. You know, I thought mm. about. I mean, you know, literature. I mean, God, I'd love to have Jack Kerouac come for for dinner, but Jack would drink all the wine, you know. <laughs> and then I don't think it would have been very good company, you know. And I, I love music, but what musician do I invite along, and so mm. forth? Mm. So. At the end of the day, when I thought about it, what I like the way wine can bring people together or whatever, whether that's a tasting or, or whatever. So I know this is a very conservative answer, but it's not really. I would love to open a collection of wines. I'd love to do actually what I'm doing tonight at, at Webb's and hosting a tasting at the terraces with every vintage. This is my life's work and a collection of wines and I'd love to share it with all my family, wife, peer, um, with my children, their partners, you know, my mum who's, who's still alive and, and loves wine, although she'd be drinking the Pinot Gris, I think, um, rather, than the, rather than the red wine. And each of us could open vintages and talk about what we were doing that particular year because the very first vintage was the year that my eldest daughter was born. So each of the each of the vintages tells us of a story, a part of our, our lives and, and so forth, you know, like when Pierre and I met and when, you know, perhaps the pony was bought and when we got the house pets and so forth. So I love the way that w- that wine would be able to just, bring us together and share our lives under the umbrella of the wine. Mm, nice. So that, that's that's what I'd most like. Perfect. That's really good. Hey, thanks, Gordon. Thanks for coming in. It's been lovely having you on. 
Thanks, Ben. Pleasure. And, and enjoy your evening tonight. Sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, nervous. Yeah. But yeah, it should be amazing. Cheers. Thank you. We've been speaking with Gordon Russell from Esk Valley Wines in the Hawke's Bay here in New Zealand. If you'd like to find out more, you can go to eskvalleywines.com. That's E-S-K valleywines.com. And also be sure to check out some of the other great New Zealand wine podcasts and some of the other podcasts on topics here in New Zealand on podcast.nz. This episode was brought to you by bizibu.com. Let's get your business started. And you can follow NZ Wine Podcast on Instagram. We look forward to your company again very shortly. Hey, Konamai. Bye for now.